0: How about let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Okay. so, um, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Grant to us, Lord, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without you may be enabled by you to live according to 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 excuse me to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in session seven. Uh, dead to sin, alive to God. Um, looking at Romans <laughs> 6. Uh, and, and you'll see here I think it's great that we're talking about this after this last Sunday when we had a baptism, because that's what Romans 6 really drives home is what baptism is and means. So the the focus of this lesson is uh, that in baptism, we die to sin and God raises us to new life according to the pattern of Christ's death and resurrection. Right? Um, usually Sean volunteers to read this first part. <laughs> But he's not here right now, he'll be here later. So, uh, who wants to start us off by reading those first two little paragraphs and then we'll get into that first question.
1: As you study Romans six, remember that this chapter continues the discussion begun in chapter five, concerning how one who is righteous by faith truly lives. Much of Paul's discussion concerning justification up to now is focused on Christ and his action. Here Paul impacts the understanding of what happens in a person when the miracle of faith is created, which receives Christ and his righteousness. This chapter therefore is very important for our understanding of daily life in Christ and the sanctification that results as Christ lives out his life in us. It helps us to understand individual justification and the blessed life that results. In light of the repeated emphasis on grace in Romans 5, Paul asks a pointed question in 6.1. This question is probably posed in response to critics who accused Paul of preaching cheap grace, i.e. forgiveness is abundant, so do not worry about keeping
0: the law. so Paul asks, what shall we say then? What shall we Christians say then? Shall we go on to sin so that grace may increase or abound? What's the answer? By no means. Yeah. By no means. No, absolutely not, right? In the Greek it's uh what is that? Verse uh one, six one. It's uh verse me two. Megan. Yeah. yeah, it's verse two, meganoito. It's that's this Greek phrase for just absolute negation. Absolutely not. Right? No way, no how. Whatever you want to say about that, right? King J says, "God forbid." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. God forbid it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it. That's 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 going a little bit extra right there. But it, it is basically a strong, emphatic negation, saying like absolutely not. Pump the brakes. No, 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 no way, Jose. Whatever you want to say. All right. So. Um, uh, and somebody asked why, and that that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the next. I think somebody asked this morning. Well, why not? You know, and you probably can guess who that was. <laughs> Tip Shade. Um, he he, <laughs> he loves being a contrarian, and I love it too. It's it's a good back and forth. But I mean, it begs another question from St. Paul, which is that next part. Unless y'all want to really. Focus on that one, the why not, or certainly not. No, I mean, it's pretty clear, but we'll get into why not, right? How can we Christians live in sin any longer? We died to sin. We can't
2: live in sin any longer.
0: Um, okay. Well, I mean, we shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, we, we shouldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we should not. It's
2: like, how can we do that? Right. How so. We don't.
0: Yeah, so when you look at what, the reference here, it says, read chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, which is where you get Paul, uh, Paul's battle with, you know, the flesh, um, saying, you know, but now it is, not, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, right? So it's like, shall we sin all the more? Shall we willfully go and find out sin to do? Because that's God, you know, it's like, well, where, where sin, where the trespass is, Christ came in and his grace abounds all the more. So then our sinful flesh says, okay, so you're saying that the more I do bad things, the more God forgives me and the more God gives grace and da-da-da-da-da. Just like, yeah, but you're missing the point. It's you not know?
2: a free pass to go and sin.
0: Right, yeah. It's not a free pass to do whatever you want, to live according to the flesh and, and things like that. Um But our sinful flesh, kind of like kind of like what I said on, on Sunday in my sermon, that we think we often think we're so clever, you know? It's like, well, God says one thing, and then all of a sudden we say, Oh, so you're saying, dot, 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 I can do whatever I want. You're saying that I don't have to worry about this. You're saying that I can just, whatever. You know, we, we use our logic to twist things and, and get all, you know, perverse with God's word when he makes it absolutely clear. How can we who have, sinned, who have died to sin do it any longer, right? It's, one of, it's a rhetorical question, but it's one of those things that says we do struggle. Our sin does still cling to us very closely. We are still corrupted by sin, and uh, we are tempted and caused to sin by the sinful flesh. Um, But Christ has changed our hearts. We want to do what is good in the midst of the struggle. So just because you struggle as a Christian doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian it just means that you're a Christian, really. It just means that you're, you're living a life that a Christian lives, facing temptation, facing struggle against sin, and the only thing that is keeping you from indulging in the sin, whatever that might be, is Christ who now lives within you, right? By faith. Uh, and according to your baptism that you were baptized with. It is grace.
2: Do you agree that as Christians, we probably recognize our sins more than some other people, or acknowledge our sins more than some other people do?
0: Absolutely. Because
2: we are Christians?
0: Yeah, and how could we not? Mm-hmm. Right? How can we not? When when we understand, uh, when, when we see things clearly because we trust God's word, that it it is the truth of reality itself, how can we not become more aware of just how sinful we really are? I mean, we have God's law, which is very clear and concise and true and cutting, that when we examine the law and ourselves against it, how can we not find all kinds of little stuff that that we didn't even know was there because we didn't bother to look or because we didn't want to look? right yeah. <laughs> Not gonna <look> that way. <laughs> yeah yeah so so it's one of those things like when we examine ourselves according to the law of course we're gonna see all kinds of little nooks and crannies because the light is shining in the dark places and exposing those things that we very generally did do that we shouldn't do didn't do that we should do right uh, and thought about or had desires about that we shouldn't have had thoughts about and desires about, right? And those sinful thoughts and desires are sinful. I don't want to mince any words about that. But we should understand that um, that alone does not—that that alone should not drive us to despair, right? And that alone because, like, let's say—I I, I mean— someone who's recovering, repentance, a life of repentance can be seen on some level as someone who is recovering from a very strong addiction, right? Um, and and not that, not that like addicts are like ultra sinful more than anybody else or anything like that, but just to draw a parallel there, if you're struggling because, you know, you're, um, recovering from having a drinking problem having a drug problem something like that even even now you know there's pornography addiction and things like that Uh, when you're recovering from these things you're going to have the desire to indulge in those things again and there's a struggle to uh, there's a struggle against that that struggle itself does not mean that you're not on the right path you are on the right path that struggle is always going to be there, you know. Sometimes it's going to be more strong than other times, but over time, it gets a little bit easier and easier. But it doesn't quite go away as altogether completely.
2: You know, right? the struggle's not a sin; it's if you give in to the struggle. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sin, sin, like God said to Cain, is crouching at the door, right? Um, so, but only by the power of God can we rule over it. But even then. It's never perfect right we're always falling into sin and as some christians like to say backsliding i don't know if i like that term but you know it's one of those things like you you indulge unwittingly sometimes you i mean the most common one that i know pastors like to use because it's very safe and kind of sanitized is that you know it's like you're driving down the road and you're not looking to get into a road rage incident but someone cuts you off, and all of a sudden you get angry, right? And you may say some things you shouldn't say, right? Uh, not that you sought out that day. You woke up in the morning like, mm, let me see, who can I cuss at tonight, uh, today while I'm driving my car down the street? You know, I just can't wait for that moment. You're, you're not seeking them out. You're like, hmm, that seems like a good person, you know. But it, it sometimes happens, and, and and in the sinful flesh, Uh, sometimes just gets the better of us when we're not even uh, paying attention you know and at that point in time we still have to rely on God's grace and struggle against it in that sense repent say Lord give me the grace next time to not react the way I just did right so and it's just continuous struggle against the flesh Um, any other thoughts on that? No. All right. Well, how about this? Is this kind of a long study? So let's just keep on rolling here. Um, how about the next question? Uh, it's chapter six, verse three. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? What's the answer to that one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Live a new life. Yeah. Don't you know? It's it's kind of like you know, uh, if someone's if someone's complaining, it's just like. Man, summer in Fredericksburg is really hot and dry. Don't you know that in, that in Fredericksburg in the summer it's really hot and dry? If you don't, you should, right? And, and it's just like, that's just, it's a given, right? Well, of course, no duh, of course, it's, that's, that's what it is. So yeah, the early Christians understood baptism as more than just a symbolic act, Right? Uh, It it was an act of God connecting the baptized person to the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. Um, And this was something that you needed to know, right? And you still—I think everybody should know this, but, you know, to become a member of the church, you need to know these things. To be uh, in good standing or whatever, to actually understand what it is God is doing in your life every single day, you need to know what baptism is and does, um, any thoughts on that? It's pretty straightforward, I guess, right? When yeah, I,
3: when I was a little kid,
2: mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was, but I always thought it would have been nice to not be baptized until later because so, <laughs> all your sins would be for all of <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's a thought. But y'all were, y'all were raised Roman Catholic, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, and and um.
3: When was it that y'all became
0: oh, well, Lutheran again?
3: My mother got us to the Lutheran church when I guess when I was about nine. Okay. okay. And then
0: we met this wonderful pastor later on in Missouri Synod and mm-hmm. Leavenworth, Kansas. There you
3: go. He brought us.
0: Yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah, so and, and the reason the reason why I asked is because that's what Roman Catholics actually believe that baptism only washes away the original sin that you're born with. Right?
3: Oh. I was hoping it'd be all the sins. It'd be all of it. <laughs> yeah. So Retro wait, they you.
4: there like an emperor or someone who wanted to wait until his deathbed to be baptized for that reason? Yeah. So he, so just he could kept wanting it. to like push it off, push it off until he was about to die. And then ha- be baptized.
0: Do you happen to know who that was? I, I think, think it. I think it might have been Constantine. An honestly. Some. Like, oh, or was it the holy? Was Was it the emperor of Rome at some point in time or? Some emperor. I because I I wonder who it was because I know that you know Constantine you've heard of Constantine the Great uh, he he wasn't baptized until right on his deathbed which I thought was kind of odd uh, anyways I, w- I wonder why no I don't think I really know I don't think anybody really knows maybe there's, maybe there is somebody out there that knows why I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, well, that's kind of a big state. chance. I mean. yeah. Huge chance, man. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll talk more about the implications of baptism and all that stuff like that going on here. But uh, any other thoughts on that? Do you do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I mean, this is like, yeah, it's, an, it's a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer, but still there are Christians who see it as you know, uh, an outward response to an inward working of faith and things like that. We'll talk more about that as we go through this, this, okay? Uh, Next part. As in chapter 5, Paul continues to describe the life that God gives in Christ by contrasting it with death. The key theological point of chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, is the fact that a Christian has died to sin through his union with Christ in baptism. Even though a Christian continues to sin due to the sinful nature, a Christian no longer lives under the bondage or dominating control of sin. So read the first few words of Romans 6, verse 3, in view of parent-to-child discussions you've experienced over the years. Uh, What is Paul emphasizing by asking, Don't you know? So when he says, um, when he says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? How is that akin to a parent-child discussion? I was lost on that one. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. It it would be like me with a child. Let's let's say with one of my own children, if. Charlie didn't know any better, but if she did, we were on we were on our way back from our trip, and uh, we were staying in a hotel in DeSoto, and um, it's like just south of Dallas, and she had a pen, and she had a piece of paper, and she was just drawing on paper, you know, just like making little squiggly lines about like that, but then before we left, we saw that she had drawn on the little bench that was there. And if she knew better, it's like we, if she would have been able to have this discussion, be like Charlotte, don't you know you're not supposed to draw on these things, right? Don't you know you're not supposed to say no when it's time for bath time or something like that? You know, that's what I think he means by that. In that, we're expecting them to know. Well, usually kids do know what's right, right? Um, especially when they do something wrong. <laughs> usually they do know what's right. Usually, I mean. When you've told them often enough, don't do this or do this, and then they do the thing they shouldn't do. Don't you, I mean that, that's that's kind of the first thing that clicks in your mind, right? Don't you know you're not supposed to hit your brother, right? Don't you know that you're not supposed to spill your drink all over the floor because you're throwing a fit, you know? Don't you know that we don't scream when we're out at a restaurant or something like that? It's kind of a no-brainer thing again. Um, kids often know what's right, but they need affirmation. They need to be reminded of these things. And the Romans know what Paul is telling them, right? Don't you know? I mean, weren't you taught what baptism means, right? We're, we're, how is it that you don't know this and yet you are part of the church, right? And it's like, well, no, yeah, you're right. We do know. We do know what you're talking about, and we do know exactly what you mean, right? Um, the form of you know Paul's Paul's question anticipates a yes. Don't you know these things? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. You're right. You know, uh, the form of the question points back to the earlier teaching in the faith, uh, and that's that's how, as as part of church history, you it's really fascinating to see. The early church and how they would bring people into the church. Um, y'all, y'all know how they would do that. Typically, I mean, it, it, would, it depended on the region and where they were and d- different customs and things like that. But y'all know how somebody who was from the outside was was brought into the, into the congregation. Probably by an invitation. Well, yeah, yeah. You would you would probably know somebody and they'd be talking to you about it and things like that, but. Um,
2: you couldn't just walk into church. No.
0: You had to be baptized. Yeah. So, so what typically happened was you would have uh, you have a process, and, and depending on where you were, it, it would change. Uh, you know, it's it's not like today where you just have churches on every corner and things like that. You would have house churches because um, they didn't really have a place to worship publicly and things like that. Sometimes it was because of persecution. Um, sometimes it was just because of circumstance. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of money or things like that. Um, so most of the times it would be in the house church. And people, people want to say, well, that's why we should have all house churches. It's like, well, take, take it easy there because before they had to go to the house churches, they were trying to do this stuff in the temple. You know, they wanted the centralized place or they wanted a place where all people could come or most people could come or whatever. But what happened would be that um, somebody who would want to join the church would have to go through a process, and depending on where you were, it changed. But typically it would look like, um, uh, you know, they were very protective about what went on in the church. Not secretive, but protective. They didn't necessarily, especially during times of persecution, want just anybody coming in to see what was going on in, let's say, the service of the sacrament. Because what would happen would be if the Romans, whenever they decided to persecute the Christians, because it would usually happen on a whim uh, for political reasons or whatever, they would try and go after uh, the bishops, which would basically just be the pastors wherever they were in that particular location. So like that would be basically saying they'd go after the bishop, which means that they'd just like come after me even though I'm not like a district president or anything like that, they'd come after the guy who was overseeing the congregation in a certain place and they would try and take from them the holy things that they would use in the service, like uh, the chalice or the books or whatever they would use for uh, the Lord's supper or something like that, the ceremonies. And so they had to be careful. They bring people in, And they'd have what was known as a catechumenate, Catechumenate, uh, which would mean that people who are just being taught the faith, right? And you were part of the catechumenate, and so you would be invited to a certain part of the service, but then not another part. You would be invited to the part of the service of the Word. You would be invited to come and sit and hear the Word of God and hear uh, the preaching but then, as soon as the service of the sacrament would take place, there would be what would be called a dismissal, and all the catechumens, those who had not yet been baptized, would be dismissed, and only those who had been baptized and brought into the communal, uh, the communion, the communion fellowship of that church would stay behind, and then they would have the service of the sacrament. That's actually where you get the word mass from because it stems from the Latin word for dismissal. Kind of an interesting point. So anyways, you get you get that and you have these people who would come in by the catechumenate and they would come to church to be taught. And that's why church would last for such a long time. And that's why you have gospels like the Gospel of Matthew that's actually very catechetical in a way. It teaches the faith. It lets you know who Jesus is from the very beginning uh, and you know what he has done, all the things he's taught. So as Jesus teaches throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you learn the faith. It's kind of an interesting thing. So anyways, these people in the Roman church probably went through something like that. And before they were baptized, they were taught exactly what baptism is and does. So if they're sitting there learning and ever hearing from Paul's um, correspondence here, it's it should be a no brainer to them. They wouldn't be sitting there if they didn't know what baptism was, and they'd be fully understanding exactly what he's trying to say. Yeah, does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any thoughts, questions on that?
1: Well, father, children, you know, always. What came to my mind was my. Uh, Dad talking to my brother. Of course, my brother, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the place, but, the, you know, and he would use that. I always sounded a little derogatory, like, you know, don't you know? That's kind of like calling him stupid. No, mm-hmm. oh, sure, yeah. So, I wouldn't, I tended not to yeah, go down I, that. Yeah, I never heard that. Before. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. It was more of the,
0: you know better than that. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's maybe a, yeah. A, a, yeah. a different, a different shade of that mm-hmm. attempt of, like, reminding someone what it is that they should know what to do, right? I mean, maybe that to you that may seem derogatory and yeah, no, when you say that, it, it I can see how that can be derogatory because you're kind of telling them they're dumb or whatever, but it's like and, and I I don't think I've said anything like that to Charlotte yet, but I mean uh, it's, it's probably just trying to get them to recall what it is they've been taught. So yeah. Um That's a good point, though. I can see how that would be derogatory, but uh, I guess when it's so blatant, if there are people who are in their preaching or teaching falsely within the congregation saying things like, you know, well, I guess should we sin all the more so that grace may abound, then maybe Paul does need to be a little blunt and say, are you dumb? No, don't do these things, right? Uh, and and depending on who who that is, that works and that doesn't work depending on who you're talking to, of course. Um, Jesus I've, kind of spoke like that to the disciples.
5: Like, do you still not understand? Yeah,
0: don't you understand what I'm trying to teach you? Um, maybe he wouldn't be as direct or blunt as saying, "Are are you stupid or something?" But I think anyone's talking to adults and not children. That's yeah. true. Can that's I make true. A
2: comment? Yeah. Okay. And no, actually, me.
0: you know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I make it. <laughs>
2: this is going to be a sexist comment. But. Okay. I haven't lived a whole lot, but I've lived more than some. It seems like men talk harsher and make comments like that more than women do. That's true. Women will say it in a softer way, trying not to be derogatory or mean. It's where true. Men don't you know you're supposed to do that? Well, I can't get through to them unless I talk to them that way. Mm. It seems like men are harsher with statements like that than um, females are.
0: Yeah. And I agree. I don't, and yeah, and, and I don't, and do you, do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it depends on who you're
2: talking to. Okay. I think males receive it better mm-hmm. than females do. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Females, when they are um, approached like that, are more hurt. Mm-hmm. Where males, if they hear that, it's it's almost like a challenge,
0: mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It may be sexist, I'm, I'm, but I think no, that's, no, that's the way it is. No, there's nothing wrong. And, and, you know, to, and to, women are different. To say something is sexist, it's like, well, depending on how you say, or depending on what you're saying, I, I guess you're right. But there's nothing, when you say something is sexist, it, it, it denotes something negative. And I'm, there, saying. I'm not trying nothing, to make it a negative. It's just, there's nothing it's just negative
2: observation that I've noticed.
0: There's nothing negative with pointing out, how women typically talk and how men typically talk. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's kind of an interesting study. There's, there's, um, when Amelia and I were engaged, we were, uh, advised by the pastor who was giving us premarital instruction. He said, listen to this one or like read this one book. It's by this woman, Deborah Tannen. Um, and it's called, he said, she said. And it's and it's it's about how men communicate and how women communicate mm-hmm. and she, you know, her politics, I think she's a liberal or something, but it doesn't matter, she was pointing out, no, men speak differently than women do. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You just have to know the differences and 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 that like, you know, women don't like to ask for raises at work. Mm-hmm. But men have no pro- men have less of a problem with it, and when they ask, they mm-hmm. tend to get it. Not all the time, but you know, it's like if you don't ask, you don't get, right? And but women are typically typically a little more timid, and I think people miss that phrase typically because then people say, like, "Well, all women? Yeah, fine, sure, whatever, um, sure, yeah, all women. Give me a break." Um, but no, you're right. Men tend to be more direct and blunt. And in that way I think that's that's beneficial uh, for boys. In the
2: right circumstance. So right. When, yeah. when Paul was talking, was he directing this more towards the men of the church back then? Um I think Were it, men more in point. charge
6: of the church back then. Yeah. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. so <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean I mean yeah. <laughs> I mean but more so than they no are point. now. I mean, back yeah.
2: then, women just probably just went to church and didn't talk a
0: whole lot, okay? Well, I mean, St. Paul says as much in, yeah, in, in, in so Timothy and 1 Corinthians comments, and whatnot, right?
2: Don't you know he's talking male to male?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, yeah, because because he there was the expectation that I think has been lost today that, you know, he's saying, you know, women should learn from their husbands. hmm in submission and quietness you say that and women want to stone you so Mm -hmm. i'm just going to say it and say like Stephen, lord forgive them they don't know what they're doing you know but it's like that's what it was yes the men and 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 women women uh um biblically and i think that's been lost is that women should understand you know the proper role of headship you know the men are the ones who should be leading and that the women should be supporting them in that and praying for them all the more to be good at that, you know? And so in that sense, I think that yeah, maybe maybe Paul's writing this, knowing that the men are going to go home and get an earful from their wives and have to say, This is what he meant, you know. <laughs> or something along those lines. I but he
2: was saying that because he was addressing men.
0: He's addressing all of them, yeah. but and and maybe maybe the women understood that you know, it's just like, oh wow, that was well, that's Paul for you. <laughs> I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, he's he's engaging in a uh, a dialectical exercise or a rhetorical exercise with the Christians that are there, and Paul's a man. Let's just make it as plain as possible. Paul's a man. He's going to talk like a man. Mm-hmm. That's how men talk, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean that it's meant to be. Harsh or derogatory, he's just trying to get his point across, and that's how he does it. Not a
5: lot of room to tiptoe around the two lips,
0: it's really, yeah. I and, and I think that some with something like this, you really can't, and you really shouldn't. Paul is very, uh, Paul is very gentle in other respects in different avenues, right. Um, He is very gentle in other letters and in different ways throughout this letter. But when he's trying to lay down solid doctrine, he's trying to get his point across as direct as he possibly can. I mean, Romans, the epistle to the Romans is long enough. I don't think he needs to necessarily add extra. it's, it's, It's like, now to the ladies, let me just explain, you know, or something along those lines. So, yeah, he's just trying to get his point across and he's just trying to say, this is what it is. Uh, and don't you know? Of course you do. Of course you do, right? That's the implication there. And on some level, maybe we're a little more sensitive than the Romans would be to these things, you know. Um, so yeah, great, great thought, great point. Uh, and um, yeah, Paul's, Paul's just Paul's soliciting a yes. That's really what he's trying to do here. Any other thoughts on that? Don't you know,
1: I don't hear that much anymore when I hear stuff from our leaders. It's always, let me be clear. And then that gives me a clue that here comes another lie. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, but see, that's the thing, though, is that it's very interesting you say that because I think there's a deliberate point that Dr. Gieschen in, in this study is getting at that Paul is acting like a father, right? He's acting like a dad to these Christians, and he's laying down what should be so, right? It's
2: almost like a reprimand because he expects that they should know this anyway.
0: Right, and 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 he knows they do because he's heard good reports of them, but he's heard certain things that need to be addressed and need to be cleared up. And so that's what he's trying to do as a father, as a spiritual father to these people. And it's funny because uh, our, our civil leaders... Are extensions of the father, right? They should be in that position on some level, but nowadays they're not, right? You don't, you don't have a whole lot of uh, well. And I, I, I wonder how Americans would take that to be talked to like their children. <laughs> Probably not very well. Um, but maybe we've lost that sense of uh, society uh, and um, civilization. Being an extension of the home. How
2: about respect? Lost a lot of yeah. respect. Yeah. I'm say. Well, we've lost
0: a lot of respect. I think because there's just a lot there's just a lot of problems in the governmental sphere because um, they've lost sight of the fact that they are extensions of the father and the mother. Right. That in our small catechism we know that. Uh, when you see the fifth commandment uh, when you 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 shall you shall honor your father and your mother that doesn't just mean your mother and your father but the authorities right because they're extensions of them that society starts at the house at the household and then from their outward you know father's you know uh, fathers and mothers in our government pick those who would lead in the society in uh, the governmental structure as extensions of them right because they can't necessarily always be out there and teachers you've probably heard this act in loco parentis in the place of the parent right Um, but we've lost that sense And we've lost the understanding of really what the household means, what the structure of the family should be, and therefore, of course, it's breaking down. Yeah.
3: We saw this, or or I've commented to someone recently that um, with women's lib, Mm -hmm. when uh, we're talking 60, 70 years ago, The women's magazines, everything was building up the women and putting men down. And I think that that moved into society as a whole, not just the women's magazines. Uh And and the women started demanding, Uh and I've watched that progression, and now it's reached the point where it doesn't make any difference who, what. Any woman will take, um, Nancy Pelosi she'll take or take charge and tell everybody what to People do to you know someone like that yeah they don't think there's there isn't any of that the biblical sense has been ruined because of women's lib and the whole structure of society has changed it's been very emasculated yeah mm-hmm. yeah the men the men have
5: been uh, I'm told that because you're a man, that's that's not
0: good. Exactly. That's toxic. Yeah, to society. This is all I'll say because we need to keep going on this. But this is all I'll say is that what scares me about that is that you have a lot of young men um, coming up, you know, com- coming of age in this time and place where they are constantly and continuously. Degraded, cast down and, uh, debased in a lot, a lot of different ways that eventually you're going to get some man or some men who are going to push back in a violent way mm-hmm. and order will be restored in a way that is not going to be pretty. It's actually going to be very, uh, very um, drastic and gross in a lot of ways. I mean, why do I think, I think our understanding, we should probably understand what, what barbarians were and what they did, because I think they're going to make a comeback sometime soon, Mm -hmm. because you're going to get men who are going to be sick and tired and fed up of being driven into the ground and they're going to do something about it. And they're going to show that there is a difference between men and women and that men are stronger in the sense that women can't stop them physically from doing what they want. It's going to be scary. And I think we should try to raise in the church good men. That's why we as men in the church should raise good men up to not do that and to respond in the right way. And the women in the church, likewise, should raise up the young women to live as they should, as it says like in Proverbs 31 and things like that, to live in, to live a quiet and peaceable life as God would intend, right? Otherwise, you're gonna get chaos. And that's what's coming. Okay. I think that's what's coming. Hopefully when the church will weather the storm, I know we will because Christ promises that we will, mm-hmm. and the, the church will not fall, um, and he will sustain it all the way up to when he returns, right? But yeah, um, Bertie, you were gonna say something?
2: I was just gonna say is that why they're trying to make it
0: unisex everything just have <laughs> one sex from now on. Yeah. Men are
2: well, you know what I mean. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I gotcha. I mean it's it's this whole what it is is it's it's satanic, it's demonic, its intent is to take God's created order and flip it on its head. Because Satan hates God's creation. And he hates us so much so that he will do whatever he can to, to undermine us and do whatever he can to keep people away or snatch people or try and lure people away from God and what he intends to be good for his people. Yeah,
2: I heard on the radio today that they did this survey with Democrats and they asked them a question, do you think men can become pregnant? Yeah, twenty-two percent of the Democrats that they polled said, "Yes, men can become pregnant," and I was just like, I'm teaching that in high school. You've got to be kidding me!
0: Of. Yeah, no, don't I you, don't you don't think India? India. Really. India, I am so offended. Don't you mean pregnant persons? I mean, that's what they say.
5: Yeah. And I don't think they really believe yeah. that. They just—they just, they just said, are compelled yes, by Satan pregnant. to say that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Whatever. But I was what? like, "Are yeah. you kidding me? We're right. yeah.
0: slaves to it. Have we ever had a man that's been pregnant? I Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, right. In the movie, <laughs> In what was that, movie, Junior, or whatever? Junior. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was a funny movie. That was so yeah. dumb. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, yeah, it's it's demonic, it's satanic. It is all about subverting God's created order. I mean, God create. I mean, God's cre- God's creation is still good. Mm-hmm. Right. It is corrupted, but it is still good. And I saw something, and I, I promise I'll move on after this, but recently in our, in our circuit of uh, churches that I'm in, in uh, our district, we, we read a book from uh, John Kleinig. Uh, it was uh, a theology of the body. And he, he proposed something that was very interesting um, as to a motive, a motivation for why Satan hates us it's apocryphal, so just I'll throw that out there. It's apocryphal. But he he says in, in the Wisdom of Solomon, which is an apocryphal book, um, it was posited that Satan saw what man could do, or Satan saw the good gift that God gave man to reproduce, and he scorned him for it. And so in some sense, Dr. Kleinig made the theory that one of the reasons why Satan hates mankind is because we can actually reproduce, and God has given us the ability to have a way to bring about new souls within this world, and Satan can't do that. Satan can't bring about more demons for his own purposes, and that may be a, a motivation on some level, maybe, I mean, it's kind of fun to think about. I, I thought that was just fascinating because look at all the attempts to kill children, kill children in the womb, to castrate boys, to mutilate girls, to change that, to, to induce all these things within them nowadays. I mean, there are girls who were deceived into trying to transition into becoming boys and now they have been so damaged that it's not even repairable. They may never, in fact, there's the very much likelihood that they are never going to be able to have their own children because of the hormone treatments that they've had and, uh, the surgeries they've had and all these things that Satan is just rubbing his hands and laughing because everything is getting flipped upside down, not just in theory, but in practice. And what better way, you know, so, and, and what, what better way to keep there from being the possibility of new souls that could belong to Christ than something like that. It's absolutely diabolical. It gets my blood boiling um, because I think to myself, you know, what if they try to do that to my kids? Oof. <sighs> well, that's neither here nor there right now, but um, maybe it could be someday. And hopefully God will give me the wisdom to deal with it as it comes. So anyways, um, yeah, no, you know, Satan wants to flip it on its head, for sure. Um, I love these discussions. They're great. Um, moving on, though, okay. So the... Yeah, sorry. This portion of Romans, back to Romans, this portion of Romans testifies to the mysterious and powerful things accomplished in baptism, right? Some falsely believe that baptism is a mere symbolic action. They emphasize that faith must come first, and then Christians must show their obedience to God by being baptized. Such an understanding takes that which is pure gospel and turns it into law. It takes God's gracious action and turns it into an action of man." right, Um, the mysterious work of God in baptism unites us with the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, As Paul says, for if we have been united with the likeness of his death, then certainly we will also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. So once again, Paul is establishing a pattern to make his point. Um, Describe Paul's pattern between the following. Okay. Christ's death and a Christian's death to sin, and then Christ's resurrection and a Christian's resurrection. What did y'all have for that? What did y'all put for that one?
1: Christ's death, Christ gave, Christians death, Christians receive. Hmm. Christ's resurrection in the past, Christian's resurrection in the future. That's great.
0: Yeah, I like
2: that. That's almost what I had. So similar. very similar. Very nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Anybody else have something for that? I honestly skipped that question. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. <laughs> yeah. It's,
5: kind, yeah, I, I, it's so like it's so obvious. So obvious. obvious. <laughs> so yeah, obvious. <laughs> kind of like, it's kind of just stating it right there. Right. I like the
2: question is the answer.
5: Right. right. But
2: Christ died and was resurrected to live with God. When we're baptized, we're washed clean of sin, like when He died, so that we can live with God. When we leave the leave this earth,
0: right what's What's the end? Yeah, what's the end to sin? How can yeah? It's death, Death. right? The end of sin is death. In your baptism, Mm -hmm. you die. Mm -hmm. You die, and then you're raised to new life, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because Christ died. And was raised to new life. Yeah. So um, uh, I think I think it's very it, it's 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 important to look at the word likeness. Um, Paul uses it to emphasize that we share in the reality, the present reality, of Christ's death and resurrection through baptism. Even though we weren't literally crucified, even though we didn't literally die. Right. We are still connected in that way because God's word says so and because it is testified uh, in the word and uh, throughout all of the church history. Right. Um, so. Let me see if I can add anything to this. Um, can I say something? Please, yeah. So when we were leaving church
2: this past Sunday, yes, we were talking about the baptism, Mm -hmm. and I said, "This is her birthday. It's her birthday with Christ." Right. And so she's going to celebrate her birthday with Christ because this is when she's born again with Christ. Right. So this is her another birthday that she has.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Um, We celebrated Charlotte's baptismal birthday. uh, it was two weeks to the day almost after she was born, so it's kind of easy. Uh, and Henry, that'd be super easy. It's only two days after he was born, so two days after his birth. It's like, it's, it's going to be birthday, two days, back to the birthday. You know, it's like so big, big whatever. Uh, we'll see how it goes with hopefully future <laughs> children. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is, it is your birthday. It is your rebirth. Um, you have new life now in Christ, and um, one thing I do want to touch on that I, I touched on this morning was that um, um, was that we should live in a way now in our baptisms that. <clears throat> is completely different. Uh, and I think, and you've heard me emphasize this before, um, and I'm going to keep on emphasizing it because I think it's really, really lacking in our day and age and in our church body, is what it really means to actually live out a life of, as, as one who is baptized. What does that really look like to live a life of the baptized? Um, not in a legalistic sense, but in just say, like, well, there is a practical aspect to this now, right? That um, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, what does that look like? Um, and our context is different from previous contexts. It's going to be different from the future context that some people might have. But I want us to really start thinking about. What does it really look like to live the baptized life? And the something that I, I um, listened to last night, I was listening to a podcast last night. By the way, my um, my wife and kids are out of town right now, so I've, you know, I've got some time to think a little bit. Um, and, and so I was listening to a podcast last night, and uh, it was it was um, these two Missouri Synod pastors talking about just current events and what that means and things like that. And one of the pastors was saying, um, it's, it's interesting to look at somebody who has gotten a diagnosis of say, you only have five months to live because that person lives their life in a completely different way than they did before, right? They see reality for what it really is. And they understand the truth of what, of just how fragile our life is and how quickly we could be called, you know, to the grave. Um, because he was saying, it's, 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 it's like if I was to go to somebody who just got a, a cancer diagnosis and they said, you only have five months to live, I'll be, I'll, me on my side who doesn't have the diagnosis, isn't seeing things correctly, because I don't have that diagnosis, and I'll be looking at this person saying, I'm really sorry to hear that, God be with you, God's peace be with you, and just go on about my merry way as if nothing's wrong, and I could die in a car accident, and die before that person does, right? So in some sense, uh, being, being someone who is baptized, someone who has received the new life in Christ in that baptism, is seeing things for what they really are. Seeing that you have already died, and you now live in Christ. Because, believe it or not, you have a diagnosis. We all have a diagnosis. It's a terminal diagnosis, and your diagnosis is sin. You're not going to recover from this. You will die from it, right? Unless Christ comes back. But you will die from it, And knowing that should help you to live a life of gratitude, thankfulness, and praise to God for every day that you do have. Because it's kind of interesting, um, we may not have, probably in this congregation or even in this, maybe someone in this town, or in this church body or whatever, who's worried about transhumanism, you know what I'm talking about, transhumanism, where, where it's like medical advances and scientific advances are gonna get so great that they're gonna be able to 3D print a heart, and if I need a heart transplant, they'll just do that and put it in me and I'll be okay, and I'll live forever, right? We may not have people in our congregation or our church body or this town or whatever thinking about that stuff, but it is very interesting when you get somebody who's, let's say, 74 years old or something, Get a cancer diagnosis and say, that's not fair, I wanted to live to 80. Right? Because they have a certain expectation to live a certain amount of time. And I heard this a lot when COVID was really raging, and and you'd hear people say, you know, someone got COVID and they died, they were 65 years old or 70 years old. They were too young.
2: Their life was cut kind of
0: short. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, well, if you consider life expectancy a hundred years ago, they're doing pretty good, right? And instead of thinking that it's not fair, think, well, thanks be to God, they were given that much, right? And that long. Um, And maybe that'll help us to understand every single day as the gift that it really is and to say, you know what? I'm just glad that I'm still here today because I could not be tomorrow. And I'll be thankful for what I get, because in some sense, in a lot of ways, I've outlived my diagnosis. Someone gave me only five months to live. I'm on year two right now. And even those people who outlive their diagnosis still live that way, saying they told me I was going to die in six months. Two years later, I'm still here. Thanks be to God. Right. That's how we should live. We should live in that way, saying every single day, Lord, thank you for the breath that I have today. Thank you for what you've given me. Now I'm going to go and live, on some sense, as if this is my last day. Not doing whatever the sinful flesh wants, but doing God's will and living the baptized life. right? Um, Because Christ now lives in you as a baptized child of God. As a son of God, Christ lives in you. And every single day, you are united with Christ. And if you nurture that union, right, then Christ will live to God in and through you all the more. So that's why Luther makes it very clear in the small catechism that we should, by daily contrition and repentance, drown the old Adam so that the new man may, may come forth and live forever, right, every single day. The old man can't be reformed. He needs to die. Right? And I'll share a funny little story here. Before my family went out of town to go spend time with um, my parents to kind of cheer things up a little bit and things like that because the kids always bring joy. Um, uh, I was told, I, I made a confession to Amelia that Earlier this year, and maybe in years past or whatever, some, sometimes like you know, I I I, I gained some weight, and uh, I told her that sometimes when she sent me to HEB, not every time, but sometimes I would go down the little snack aisle, and I would get, uh, the uh, the single package, of a double decker, uh of a double decker oatmeal cream pie. Man, it was good. And I told her that I would do that. And I said, I made this confession. I, I was like, that's what I did. Uh, I did it more than once. <laughs> it was not great. Uh, and, 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 she was, and she was like, that's why that, that's part of the reason why you were gaining so much weight. And I was like, yeah, stress or whatever. I just want it. You know, I got a sweet tooth or something. And, and um, she said, so basically, your old Adam is a fat kid. And I said, yeah, I guess he is. And you know how I say that the old Adam is a good swimmer. He's supposed to drown him every day, but he keeps—he's—he's he's a good swimmer. He keeps swimming. I said my old Adam is only a good swimmer because he's buoyant. He's floater, you know. <laughs> he just does the dead man float, and he just kind of stays afloat, you know. Uh, <laughs> but we all have these things, right? We all have these temptations, these these things that need to be drowned and die, right? Uh, so that the new man may come forth, whatever that may be, fat kid, you know. Angry kid, whatever, uh, whatever that know may be. I'm not
2: to bring to church on Sunday, <laughs> yes. Sunday right? yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm doing a lot better with it, so, <laughs> um, you yeah, know, I'm drowning that old Adam, um, but anyway, so we should live, uh, every single day, you know, as as Luther says, based on Romans 6 4, um, that uh, we were buried with with Jesus, right, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, that we actually do things, we don't just stand still, we actually go and do, right? Um, And sometimes that means struggling, sometimes that means going forth and doing, and you know, it it just depends on the day. That's why we need to learn uh, wisdom, uh, and so on and so forth but um, Christ is the new man that is in us who lives through us who radically changes who we are and daily lives to God right? yeah I'll tell you afterwards When okay. okay, I
3: was time. growing up mm-hmm. I didn't hear the, the emphasis on baptism or living that way I didn't and as an adult I had to do some searching to find out what day I was baptized. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Then when I started uh, uh, my training uh, at Seward and then teaching school, I realized how important baptism was. We talked to uh, my first graders about that, Mm -hmm. and it took on more meaning for me because for me it was just something that happened. Mhm and it di- didn't I didn't hear that teaching mm-hmm. now in confirmation I had to study those verses but that uh, right. that was done yeah yeah so and I don't didn't see it in the church at, at large I think that the focus on baptism has really uh changed in the last what
0: 30 years yeah I think there's there's become there's kind of a Renaissance if you will mm-hmm. there's been this rebirth of um, understanding why we do what we do and the and the scriptural motivation for it and because because I think that we've seen we've seen the fruits of just kind of the and not that anybody was being, uh, deliberately wicked in, in deemphasizing these things, but there, there may have been, uh, focus on other places or for whatever reason, we all have our, every generation has a blind spot. You know, I've got my blind spots and you don't really know what they are until after you get through, you know, you know, Heinz, you can, I think what was it? I, I saw, I saw a quote recently. It was Soren Kierkegaard who said, um. You can only learn by looking at the past, but you can only live by going forward, you know? So every time you learn something, it's because of what's come before, and you just have to take what's come before you and apply it going forward, right? So we as Christians try and do that, and I think, like I said, there's been a renaissance in saying, well, what has been a blind spot? What what do we need to do now? Where where's the source of what we should look at to try and I don't know um remedy some something depending on what it is? And I think that's where you see uh, a big reemphasis on the small catechism, catechesis. I mean they put the small catechism in everything, in Concordia Publishing House, it's in our, it's in the Treasury Daily Prayer, it's in our hymnal, you know, it's in the Bibles, it's in everywhere, because there's been this re-emphasis on uh, the small catechism, uh, because it just, it really does give you the basics from Scripture of what you really need to know as a good starting point and something you need to re- re-examine, and we keep going back and over and over and over again. It's not something you just go through as a teenager. That's right. You can start
3: going to communion.
0: That's right. It is It is a life manual. Yeah. It is, It is. I mean, if people want to say, teach me how to pray, be like, well, where's a small catechism? You know? What should I do? Every, how should I pray every day? Where's a small catechism? Here. This is what you do in the morning. You get up and you... Bless yourself with the holy cross. You make the sign of the cross and you say, "In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." Remember your baptism. By doing that, you also remember, you know, the Apostles' Creed. You say the Lord's Prayer, and then, and then the morning prayer. Start there, <laughs> and then branch out if you'd like. But start there, um, and do make the habit. Do the habit of doing this every single day and every single night. And you know, we went through this with Pastor Whedon's book, uh, "Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey." kind of a structural life for piety. And and really all he was saying was, was what the small catechism says. I, it's really that simple. And Luther was right when he said, you know, if there are, there are people who think they can just go through it once and they know it all and they don't need to look at it ever again. And he's like, I need to see it every single day. He's like, every single day I get up and I say the catechism. And by that, he, he means that he recites his Ten Commandments, he says the Apostles' Creed, he says the Lord's Prayer, and then he says other prayers after that, you know. But he he goes through those first three parts of the catechism to remind him of what it is his focus should be for the day. Yeah. So yeah, and you know what? I think we're starting to see, I see, I see the fruit of it even now in young children who know their catechism backwards and forwards, and they may be able to say the explanations, but they can also elaborate more than that. And they can say, well, that's what it means when I you know, do this, or when I do that. And you're starting to see that more and more from like little, little kids. And I think it's gonna have to start small, but it's gotta start somewhere, you know? Um, Charlotte, we've got a, a, a little book someone got us to first, my first catechism. And it's something that CPH puts out, it's really neat. Think about just kind of getting a bunch of them and just giving them to parents, um, because we started with Charlotte. She wants us to read books to her, and we started. She can, not to brag on my kid too much, but we were just like Charlotte. What's the first commandment? And she just says, "No other gods, no other gods." You know, and you start there, and you just build up from there, um, and hopefully she'll she'll get to a point you know, later on where she'll be able to just recite the Ten Commandments and be like, Charlotte, what is the Ninth Commandment? Or, you know, Charlotte, what's the Third Commandment? Or whatever. Um, and uh, we'll see. But I think that's something that we should emphasize more, is just this faithful, faithful, um, what do I want to say? This faithful pursuit, right? hoping that these things, and God will fulfill his promise in these things, that when we teach our children, when we train our children in the way that they should go, they won't depart from it, right? Uh, that God will actually do the work that he promises to do through the word so that they won't be lured away, you know? Growing or strengthened up. against that, yeah. Growing up, what we
3: learned was fire and brimstone.
2: Sure.
0: You heard the gospel, it was always law.
3: Yep. What you should do. Yeah. shouldn't do. What you shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. But never got deeper into any of this. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully, and I've seen it more and more. There is a reemphasis on home catechesis, on on fathers actually teaching their children, and that's what I hope to model in some sense, to 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 show guys. It's it's. I'm not going to say it's not hard, but I'm going to say this is how you can start. And just do what you can because your children's souls depend on it. Really, it does. You know, so and I, I would like to model that and encourage that and do whatever I can to foster that because I mean, it says in the small catechism, as the head of the household should teach should teach them, right? In a simple manner. Um, so yeah, but India, you were gonna say something?
2: Um two <laughs> things real short. Yeah. You Know we do the morning prayer and the evening prayer,
0: and and uh,
2: Pat, uh, Patrick goes, Nanny, what's the foe? Yeah, the evil foe. And I said, Well, what do you think it is? He said, Is it the devil? I said, Yeah, it is. Yeah, the evil foe. Yeah, and then um, this was off the topic, but did you hear about that pastor? This was August 1st. He, he was in, like, Georgia, someplace over there. He got sick or something, and he was, like, 35, and he died. And they were getting ready to his... He was dead, brain dead. So they were going to donate his organs, and they, his wife came to the hospital to say her last goodbyes, and when she was there, his foot twitched, and they retested him and found that he was still alive. He'd been clinically dead for two days. They said his brain is dead, his body's shut down. They kept him on life support because he was going to donate his organs. Mm -hmm. And right as they were getting ready to wheel him in to take his organs, they discovered, because you were talking about on Sunday, that miracles don't happen. Oh, we think they don't. Yeah, we think they don't. And I'm like, that is a miracle. In yeah. my term, that's
0: that's sure. a of a miracle. I've heard of I've yeah. heard of a, So I've, people say we don't see miracles, but that to me is a miracle. I've, uh, Dr. Gieschen, who did this study, he told us that he had a parishioner who had a tumor, and they prayed that God would heal them and take care of them, and miraculously the tumor did shrink the point where they could operate and get it out and then they were cancer free. And, but he had to warn them. He said, yes, God answered this prayer, but he doesn't always promise to act in this way. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that he can't do these things or that he won't, he does do them. Mm -hmm. And he does them often, more often than we probably realize, but we shouldn't be disappointed when he won't or doesn't. Right, yeah.
2: We were driving in the car, Megan was eight years old. We're driving in the car, and she says, Mommy, God, why isn't God answering my prayer?
6: Hmm.
2: And I said, What do you mean? She goes, I've been praying for something over and over and over
0: to strike my brother dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it just doesn't come true.
2: And I said, Well, Megan, have you ever thought maybe the answer is no, that you're not supposed to have it?
6: Uh-huh. Yeah. And she's like,
2: Sure. Hmm. Why do you think about that?
6: Yeah. You know, it says, "Pray
2: for what you want, and you're going to get it." You know, and I'm like, "Well, maybe you shouldn't have that." Just because you pray for it and you want it doesn't mean you're going to get it. Right. It might not be the best thing for you. Right. But just think, you know, he is answering. He's saying no. Yeah. It's like, hmm, think about
0: that. Yeah, and that is that is also part of the baptized life. Mm-hmm. You know, praying and understanding what it means when prayers are answered or when they're not, um, and knowing that we should pray continuously and without ceasing and and continuing to go to God, our Father, because we are His dear children, right? Um, Yeah, and we never stop being children in that sense, right? So, um, and children need discipline, children need structure, so why not structure your prayer life in such a way, starting with how the small catechism says to do it? It's a good way to do it. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's move on. Um, reflect on your own baptism. When were you baptized and what happened in this sacred act of God? First of all, who in here was baptized as a baby? So everybody. So you don't quite remember your baptism, but that's not the question. Reflect on it. What happened in your baptism, even though you don't remember it? What happened?
2: became a
0: child of God. Right? What else? Anything else? Died to sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're di- you've died to sin. Now you live to God. Anything else? It's a new birthday with mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I. I, I, I some, in this, this morning, uh, I think the only person in, in here who was baptized later on in life was Alice because she was uh, with, you know, um, a kind of a non-denomin or like a Baptist kind of church. And um and she said that she she remembers it. And I told her, I said, I sometimes, I sometimes, not all the time, but rarely I feel kind of jealous of people who can remember when they're baptized because it is such a momentous occasion. Uh but then I have to remind myself that it's not it doesn't degrade or diminish what has been hap- what happened in my baptism, or anybody else's baptism that have been baptized as babies. Um, I simply said I, I was baptized on December twelfth, nineteen eighty six. I think I got that date right. I know it was December nineteen eighty six. Uh, everything, and I said that everything that God's Word says happens in baptism happened to me when I was about two weeks old, right? And that's really all there is to it. It's it's a beautiful thing that even God will do such things for for the infants, right? Uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on here? In October, I got to go back to Houston for a while and I was visiting
2: all these places that were involved in my growing younger years. Yes, And I actually got to go in the church where I was baptized and I had not been in that church. For probably, I you know, sixty some odd years, you know, yeah. and um, it was very emotional for me to be there. It was really something. That church had not changed one iota, and it was exactly as I remember it. And it was really special
0: for me to be there. It's really nice when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. When a church not. Not that churches shouldn't change. I mean, ch- change happens in the church gradually over time mm-hmm. for legitimate reasons and things like that. But I mean, when, uh, what, like if the carpet changes, that, I mean, yeah. what are you going to do about that? But it's like when, when it all is pretty much the same, yeah. I mean, that, that is really a testament to uh, the, un- the unchanging nature of our faith mm-hmm. and of God. And Christ himself, right? So it's it's one of those things it's like when you have a church you should try to change as little as possible.
2: I mean they hadn't remodeled or updated anything. It was exactly Oh well I mean miraculous. you can sometimes
0: refurbish, but yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> no, it was maintained, but they hadn't they hadn't much remodeled or updated anything. Yeah. It was it was very well maintained, but it was exactly the way I remember it. It was really it was really
6: nice.
2: it felt good
3: to be there. Nice. That's was really, nice. Yeah. They cut down the tree in the front, but... Yeah, I know you tell me that, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, since I've been attending the Bible class with my daughter, mm-hmm. and the impression I've gotten of uh, baptism of obedience, yep, uh, making a decision right. for for God, that they are stressing, that's when the, you get the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You want the Spirit. You, mm-hmm. right. Comes with but with the Spirit, here's how you do it,
0: right? Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is a, a key distinction. We what, we what do we classify baptism as? A sacrament. It's a sacrament. So is the Lord's... Uh, so is uh, Holy Communion. Uh, but they would call it... Uh, they wouldn't say it's a sacrament. Yeah. The, and I say they, I, I mean like sacramentarians in general, right? Mm-hmm. If, whether you're Reformed or Baptist, non denominational whatever. Sacramentarians would say that it's an ordinance. Now, an ordinance sounds like something you get from the mayor, right? Uh, it sounds like something you get from city council. Uh, it's something you do. It is a law. Mm-hmm. So when you ask them, well, why should I be baptized? Why, ba- why should you baptize anybody? Well, because Jesus told you to. Right. Well, why do you have communion even if it's only once a year? Well, because Jesus said to do this right uh, but and we would say, yeah, but that's only half the picture because we would say that it is there's a command and a promise tied to these things that we are commanded to baptize, we are commanded to remember what Christ has done for us in the eating and the drinking of his body and his blood because there's a promise attached to these things. the promise of forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, right and a strengthening of your faith, things like that. So, um, yeah we would only half agree with the ordinance part right yeah um, yes and then we got to move on <laughs> go
6: ahead.
2: I know 30-40 years ago there was a big movement or whatever to be a born again Christian right. you need to be a born again Christian you know
6: right.
2: and when you do that you need to go and be baptized again Right. because you didn't remember when you were baptized as a baby so right. you need to be baptized again and it was like You've been baptized once. You don't need to be baptized again. You know. Oh, yes, you do, because you have to. You have to acknowledge, accept Christ, and then you need to be baptized. And I'm like, you know, so you can be born again. And I'm like, I don't need to be born again. I'm already there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah,
0: it's a fundamentally different, different understanding. Is it is it, mm-hmm. is. it is. It is That's two much. completely different ways of viewing. Yeah, something. Um, they obviously don't agree or read or confess the Nicene Creed <laughs> yeah well typically yes that's true the you know churches that are sacramentarian typically do not confess the creeds um, and for and for various reasons for, for, for various reasons they typically shun or shy away from anything that is too uh, Catholic. yeah Catholic. yeah quote-unquote okay. Catholic um, something that is too regimented or structured or something like that um, for various reasons that we can't get into right now. But yeah, and my, my mom went through that actually because she was a Baptist uh, and she was baptized when she was like eight years old or so. Mm-hmm. And because she, she was at some little like summer camp thing at church and one of the teachers asked her, it's like, Debbie, do you believe, do you, do you love Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Do you, love, do you believe that he died for your sins? Yeah. And asked her a few more questions. And then, and then eventually it led to, do you want to be baptized? Yeah. And so she got baptized there at the church. And then she went home and said, Mom, I got baptized today. And my grandmother was furious. You know, because she was like, you don't know what you're doing. You're not old enough to know. Da da, 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 right? And so she was kind of discouraged. But, I mean, she was baptized. And so I told, and, and then later on when she was dating my dad, you know, before they got married, uh, she asked him and, and you know his parents, uh, should I get re-baptized? I mean, should I get baptized into the Lutheran church? And they said, no, you don't have to do that. And that's that's the explanation she gave to me, and I, I'd like to be charitable to my grandparents in saying, maybe they said, we, we don't do that here, you don't need to do that, yeah. right? And thinking that there was no further explanation needed, and so I told her after I started getting into more uh, theology and whatnot. I said, "Yeah, mom, you were baptized once, and that's that's all. You need. That's, all that's really all you need. Um, you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right?" She's like, "Yeah." Okay, no need for another one. Yeah. And, and and I've seen I've seen kids come out of youth group, um, and, you know, kids that I that I uh, dealt with as as an adult leader. Um, who go off to college and they get involved with like Campus Crusade or um, some sort of sacramentarian uh, group and and they're told, well, you were a baby. You couldn't make, your parents made that decision for you. Now you have to make the decision for yourself. Now you need to get re-baptized. And you know, I I would see it, and this is probably, probably what has contributed to me staying off of Facebook, but I see that sort of stuff, and I want so bad to address it, and sometimes I did, and sometimes I didn't, but sometimes I did, and I tried to be as gentle as possible by saying, you know, because they would say things like, I was baptized in the Lutheran Church, and I'd say, no, no, you were baptized into the Christian Church. I mean, whether it was Lutheran or Baptist or whatever, you were still baptized, and it's valid. It's 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 a true baptism.
2: You're not baptized into a faith. You're baptized.
0: Into You're not Christ's baptized faith. into a specific local church. Yeah. Like I'm baptized only into Resurrection Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. Fredericksburg, Texas. You know, twenty-two fifteen North Lano Street. Whatever. You know, it's like that's kind of ridiculous. You're baptized into the the universal mm-hmm. church. You're not baptized into a denomination. Right into a denomination. You're baptized into the universal church. And and I was just like, Wah. and it was really sad because there was one instance where this one girl got rebaptized, quote unquote. And her mom was even saying on Facebooks like, "Oh, I'm so I'm so happy for you today." And I was just like, "Oh, what are you doing? Don't do this to me! Oh my goodness!" It's like, "Mom, stop it! Don't don't encourage these things." Ah, I don't know. People ask sometimes like, "Well, if they get rebaptized, then what does that mean?" And I I hate to burst bubbles, but I pretty much just say it means that they. Got wet? I mean, it, I mean, really, it really, mean it really, it really isn't anything. Worst case scenario, you could say they, they have denied God's work in what he's already done for them. And either way you slice it, it's just sad. It's like they're trying to take credit for joining God's family. And when you say it like that, it sounds mean and it sounds accusatory, but I mean, that's the logical conclusion. Um, that's, that's, it's one of those things It's like, like I said before, it takes it out of the realm of gospel and into the realm of law, right? And we don't want to do that, especially with a gift of God. It's like basically saying, it's basically like being given, <laughs> it's like being given a Christmas gift, picking it up from under the tree and saying, I'm so glad that I picked up this gift and now I'm going to unwrap it. You know, it's like, well, don't forget who gave it to you. That sort of thing. It's 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 a, it's just a reorienting and not in the good way of what is actually happening. So, well, let's look and see that how you know what it is that happens. Three significant points: what happens when we are united with Christ in baptism, right? So, these verses in chapter six uh, assert three significant points about what happens when we are united with Christ in baptism. First. As the key theological point of chapter 6, verse 1 through 11 states, our sinful nature, the old man, is executed so that it no longer enslaves us to sin, as we read in chapter 6, verse 6. For this truth we know that our old man was crucified in order that the body of sin be destroyed, with the result that it no longer enslaves us to sin. Through baptism, we are united to the reality of Christ's crucifixion when he took upon himself our sin. Was executed and then triumphed over sin and death. Okay, second, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Second, um, individual justification is accomplished in baptism, as we read in chapter six, verse seven. For the one who died has been, or that is, justified from sin. The perfect passive verb in this context. Indicates more than a forensic just a forensic declaration, as stressed with universal justification. Through union with Christ, we actually possess God's righteousness. This is called, this is called, um, this is called, imputed, uh, imputed righteousness. Our sinful old man is crucified in Christ, and a righteous new man comes alive. That is Christ's. That is in us. So in other words, our righteousness before God consists of more than a legal declaration. It is is now the righteousness of Christ that is imputed or credited to us through our union with Christ. In baptism, the dominion of our sinful nature is defeated by Christ, and through our union with Him, we are clothed in his, His righteousness, with the result that we are now righteous like Him before the Father. I want to pause here and say that remember how we talked about with the courtroom scene when you are declared not guilty? This is something that we had in like the first few classes. That if you see what, what God does in declaring us righteous, I said, and I, sh- and I didn't go far enough. And so forgive me for that. I'll make up for it now. That when we talked about when God said, when the judge tells you in a courtroom not guilty, you're free to go. That's what happens when we are forgiven of our sins. But it's more than that, actually, because it's not like God simply uh, sees sin, right? It's not like he just takes that on a whiteboard and then he says, all right, now, uh, okay, Uh, clean slate, clean slate, you're free to go. That's all there is. He does more than that. He doesn't just say, you now have a clean slate. He says, now, instead of that, instead of just a blank slate, you know what I see? I see Christ's righteousness. Right? That's what I see now. So it's not just the judge saying, you're not guilty, you're free to go. He says, by the way, come over. Uh, to my house, because I just adopted you as my son that 's what the judge is really saying he 's not saying you 're free to go now you have a blank slate, go do what you want i don 't care it doesn 't matter. Just get out of here. He says you have, he says you 're not just not guilty, you are now my child i 'll see you at dinner. <laughs> right Yeah, that makes a big difference, doesn 't it? Yeah. You become—it's now a familial relationship. It's not just you know judge and the defendant. Now it's father son, right? Yeah. So I just want to make that point uh, because as I was reading, I was like, "Ooh, I didn't—I didn't emphasize that enough or at all, really." So I want to make that point. So that's the second point. Third significant point about what happens in baptism is that we now truly and eternally live. To God, as Paul states in chapter 6, verse 11, where he says, Thus also you consider yourselves, on one hand, dead to sin, <clears throat> but on the other hand, living to God in Christ Jesus. So when we arise out of the waters of baptism, we rise to live a new and eternal life in Christ. So Paul's description of what baptism accomplishes is amazing. What often makes us lose sight of the blessing of our baptism? And how can we increase our appreciation for the sacrament and its benefits? First question, and we'll start there. What often makes us lose sight of the blessing of our baptism? I put the world, the flesh,
5: and the devil, and I put examples for each one. Yeah, okay. I was like, the world tells us, well, prove to me how this happens. Yeah, okay. It's just water and word and you're saying, like, Prove to me yes, scientifically how that,
0: like you know, yeah. how this happens. Yeah. What hocus pocus? Is it magic? Yeah.
5: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the flesh. I need to prove faith to God by being baptized. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the devil goes, well, how could God save you, or how could He call you? Sure. You're such a sinful, horrible person. Yeah. Why would God even consider you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's the accuser, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Satan means, uh, one who accuses. But from him, all those things are lies. He's the father of lies. All those things flow from him. I mean, and but Luther did talk about the unholy Trinity: the sin, um, the world, the flesh, and or yeah, depending on the order you want, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right, that's the unholy Trinity. Um, So that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was India that said sin, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, very generally, yeah, it is sin that uh, makes us lose sight of the blessing of our baptism. Um, So, you know, because Christian salvation and Christian life are very simple. It's very simple. Um, Walk in the light. If you want to know how, Read your Ten Commandments, you know, consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments, as the small catechism says, right? Confess your sins, repent, continue to trust in God, and do the things that you've been called to do wherever it is that you're in life, you know? And, and uh, it's simple, but we complicate things by our own reason and sinful desires. Yes, the world, the flesh, and the devil entice us. Away from what is just so plain and simple. Um, so, what? How can we increase our appreciation for the sacrament of baptism and its benefits? What? What can we do about it?
2: Go to church. Read your Bible. Okay. Yeah. go Practice to church. Being a good Christian.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Practice. Practice what you preach, or what you hear preached to you. Yeah. James, you're gonna say something. Yeah. Just. By remembering 913. 913? That was when I was baptized. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. Um, I heard some
5: pastors talking about yeah. some like associations that you do like every day. Like when you're driving down the road in your car and your windshield's dirty, and you flick <laughs> on your, your washer, wiper yeah. fluid. Yeah. Think of
0: <laughs> yeah. your think baptism. Think of baptism. Yeah. When you're taking a shower, think of baptism being yeah. tons of your sin, yeah. <laughs> when you're washing your hands, yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. I think that's a good thing if you want to try and remember it often. That's a good way. Um, anything else? Every time it
2: rains, just go stand outside and yeah. wash away where you
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, because if you remember... Well, um, I love the 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 rite of baptism in our hymnal because it brings to mind the imagery of the flood you know and the red sea uh, eight souls were saved through the through water you know the washing of the world with the flood waters uh, and and yeah and so on and so forth i mean water I, you know it's like I say uh every mention in the Bible of water is not Maybe not necessarily a reference to baptism, but I mean, why not, you know? Why not Why not try to see like if it is, right? There could be some pattern or association there for sure, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we can increase our appreciation through various ways, coming to church, um, you know, reciting certain parts of the catechism, or just putting them in our own words, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding them in our own way, and... Uh, and ruminating on them, right? So, um, and especially God's Word, um, ruminating on that, for sure. Um, reminding other people that they're baptized and having them remind you that, that you're baptized. Um, depending on the circumstance, whether in pride or despair, right? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, so how about we move on to the next part, because we're way over time. Um Shall we, Christians, sin because we are not under law but under grace? Yeah, again, by no means, right? Absolutely not. Emphatic negation, as uh, it means, as that term is classified in the Greek, right? It's meganoito, may it not be at all. Why? Why? How come?
4: I had yeah kind of a long-winded analogy for this one. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. No, yeah, sure. So I just finished reading a book that you gave me, Goodbye
4: Is Not Forever. And it's a true story about a girl. She grew up in communist Russia in Ukraine. Well, in communist Ukraine. Yep. Um, and of course, back then... You know, you had to really watch what you said, watch what you did, because the government could arrest you without reason, you could get killed without reason, you are yeah. facing starvation. And then World War II happened, so the Germans evaded, and then the Russians pushed them back, and the author's mother was like, well, we can't stay here, because we didn't commit suicide before the Russian, or before the Germans got here, so now the Russians are going to kill us. So they just <laughs> went to wow. Germany and lived in Nazi Germany until the end of the war, when the war was over, and then the Russians told them, you know, come back to Ukraine, things are better now, you won't be in trouble, etc., etc. And the mother knew that that was a lie. Mm. And she mm. said, no, we're going to stay here in Germany. You know, we're starting a new life here. We're not going to go back to that old way. And so I thought about that when I was reading this question that all humans, we used to live under the law of fear and the law of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sin is, is obviously um, <laughs> not, not where you want to live.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but through baptism, those of us who have been baptized have been brought into this new kingdom, this new mm-hmm. country where we're not under the reign of law, but we're under the reign of grace.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And the war is over, the battle has been won for us. And so could we go back to living the way we used to? Mm. Yeah, but why sure. would you? Right.
0: When you understand the country you now live in,
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: how could you turn your back on it?
4: Why would you go back to where you
2: started?
0: Yeah, Those were the things that were killing you and starving you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 The hindsight. yeah. It's kind yeah. of like when
5: uh, people from California moved to Texas. And- <laughs> Yeah. Like we're like, don't bring it with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, don't California my Texas. <laughs> uh, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, don't go
4: back to living under the law.
0: Yeah, I. I heard that as a side note. I I I heard that there are people in Florida that now see Californian license plates, and or it, it, if they're at like the grocery store, there are people who have flyers ready to go, oh, gosh. and if they see a New York. License plate or a California license plate. They'll go put something on the windshield saying, "Do not turn us into the place that you left." Basically, you know. Uh, I was like, "Why not?" That sounds pretty good to me. Just um, yeah, it sounds very uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, aggressive, but yeah, I mean, it's like, please, please, you left, you left that place for a reason. Please don't bring it with you. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. I mean, politics aside, whatever. Um, it's it's one of those things, yeah. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back into that slavery or that despair and all those things? Um, maybe because there's some familiarity. That's a tempting thing, right? I mean, I'm sure they were tempted on some level to say, "Well, all our families from there. That should be our place to live." But we have to do you know, what's best, and this is what's best, you know. Um, Maybe not a one-to-one comparison, but I think that's a really good
3: one. That's really nice, yeah. Uh, there was a big issue at the beginning of Missouri Synod, when Perry County, Missouri, yeah. when they had to— uh, the, uh, when uh, Syn, the leader of their group, yeah. was uh, in Syn, and all the others are now— Stephon, —and a lot of the yeah. pastors were saying, we've got to go back to Germany. Yeah, we did wrong by leaving Germany, mm-hmm. and that became a big issue on: Do we stay here? Do we, do we Have to go back? What? What is the church? And yeah, a big part of the history of Missouri. Central. Yeah, and part of
0: the reason why we have the structure that we have. So I'm you glad know, well, yeah. they stayed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it was uh, yeah. There's always that temptation. Um, but Anyways, yeah. Like when we goes back to Egypt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: They did.
0: Oh, we were wasting away in the wilderness. We when we could have when we could still be in Egypt uh, next to the meat pots and things like that. Yeah. It's like oh, come on. Yeah, and with the beatings and the lashings and the hard labor and the yeah. Anyways, so that that brings us to the next point. Don't you know? That when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Don't you know these things? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You do know these things, right? If you think about it long enough and hard enough, whether you like to admit it or not, the answer is yes. Uh, And the Romans knew this, right? They lived in a slave society. Now... Uh, we kind of do, too, on some level, if you want to really dive deep into that rabbit hole. But um, Paul uses the example to say that if you follow someone's orders, you are his slave. You serve them. So that begs the question, who do you serve? I, I mean, and that's, that's, that, that's a rhetorical question to say that's something we should ask ourselves regularly. Who am I serving and what I'm doing right now? Right? Am I serving my sinful flesh? Am I serving the world? Am I serving essentially the devil, or am I serving God in what I'm doing? Who do I belong to, right? Um, and <clears throat> it's—I've mentioned this before. I've touched on this before, but I think it's worth discussing. I mean, sla- uh, slavery is discussed in the Bible in a way that is very contrary to the way we probably learned about it in school or in history as Americans, right? We've all heard that slavery is an abomination and it's a grave sin. But I mean, Scripture doesn't talk like that. What do you do with St. Paul saying, if you are a slave and you have the ability to become free, go ahead and do it. But if not, don't worry about it. Be the best slave you can be, basically. Serve your master as if you're serving Christ. To go back to the small catechism, we have the Table of Duties. We have it as uh, two employees, and we, and Luther took from uh, the part in Ephesians where Paul says, slaves obey your masters, right? So it's like, again, we may not live in the overt slave society like the Romans did, but, I mean, we have, like, wage slavery. We have, we have uh, all kinds of slavery, today in this world, maybe not necessarily in this country as overtly as in other countries even today, but slavery is still a thing, and uh, we shouldn't shy away from talking about it the way that the Bible talks about it, right, the way the Bible talks about it, Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just one of those things that uh, we shouldn't, I think I told, told you I got into this discussion with one of my... Friends at the seminary, and he was like, "I, I just don't think we should talk about it as slavery." We call, we should say that we're servants of Christ. It's like, okay, but what, what's the goal there? Like, what's, what's the point in softening the language? I mean, slavery is a real thing, and um, I think it's actually pretty interesting. The more you dive into, like, even our own Civil War, yeah, the North didn't legally have slaves, quote unquote, but look at how they treated. The people that worked in the mills the the immigrants the irish or whoever came over and they worked in the factories and they lived in tenement housing provided by their employer and they're just like no they can they're free to come and go it's like are they really though are they really though because they're relying on you for a lot kind of like a slave does right so we got to be clear about what slavery really means and what it really looks like, and all stuff like that. Not not shying away from it, but talking honestly about what it really means to serve one as a slave, right? Can I say something? Yes, please.
2: Before I came over here tonight, Megan asked me, she says, "What is the topic tonight?" And we were always telling her stuff, and I got to this point about, yeah, and you know that if you choose God, you're you know a slave to the righteousness, and you're a slavery of God. You don't be a you you choose not to be a slave to the devil. And that word right there
6: mm-hmm. just really she, I don't Absolutely. like that, that
2: white, you know, and I said, well, you got to remember back like during Ben-Hur, okay? <laughs>
6: yes.
2: Being a slave, meant it was more you were like an employer.
0: Or right? employee, right? And yeah. if,
2: your, if your master treated you well, you know, slaves like that, they didn't necessarily want to leave their master because it wasn't like the slavery. I said, you know how words have different definitions? Well, yes, slavery can be holding somebody against their will, but it can also mean somebody that just obeys because they want to obey, but she could not wrap herself—that that word slave, like your friend said. Mm-hmm had such a negative connotation to it. And
5: that comes from the education
0: system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think slave and you think automatically. civil war slavery. You think yeah. you think, you know, chains and whips and uh-huh. you know, it's like they're they you know, negative. you know, all stuff like yeah. that. But it's like, well, I mean uh, no, scripture scripture does not say that slavery is a sin. In fact we're gonna look and see um, things about uh, slavery in a minute here about what the Bible really does say, free free to be slaves of righteousness. But let's let's move on here and we'll and we'll get to that point because we're running really really late on time. So what benefit did you reap at that time when you were a slave to sin from the things you are now ashamed of? So eternal you, damnation. Yeah. What did you get? Yeah. Eternal damnation. What else? Was there anything good that came from it? Being slave to sin? Yeah. Was there anything good that came I, from it? I
5: put things that I thought were good.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I put just like uh, bodily pleasure, uh-huh. temporary escape from life's pleasures. yes yeah. um, I got respect and admiration from mm. my mm. peers.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. But how long did that last? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not very long. <laughs> Yeah, not very long. I mean, because the benefits of sin are really an illusion. Right? Uh, it's, it's like a magic trick. It's right before your face, and then it's gone. Believe it or not, it's gone. So it seems a benefit in the moment of pleasure becomes actually a liability through God's judgment. Right? Um, so any other thoughts on that before we move on? Oh, uh, I know the world teaches you to live
5: life with no regrets. Yeah, right, live yeah. a regretless life. Yeah, stuff like fact, that. And I, that
0: and I would like
5: to say that, okay. you know, but no, I got a bunch of them.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, contrition means that you regret things, right? Uh, you're sorrow, you're sorrowful for your sin. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, God works for the good of all things, right? So He can turn those things into something that's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Because you learn that it wasn't worth it, right? You learn that it merited God's judgment. Um, And for that, you want to flee from that into the righteousness of God. So, this portion of Romans gives us a foundation for our understanding of individual justification through faith. It anchors our understanding of individual justification in baptism. This sacrament continually assures us that we are united with Christ. Death no longer rules us we will share in the resurrection. So in view of Paul's teaching about sin and the human will, why do so many Christians receive baptism as babies? I mean, they didn't do anything wrong, right? Original sin. Yeah. It because
5: it's God's good
0: grace and will that they do so. Yeah. It's original sin. Yeah. Born with sin, born in sin, Psalm 51, five, right? And uh, for, I, I was in, uh, for in sin did my mother conceive me, right? Uh, our spiritual needs demand a spiritual remedy, which the Lord applies in baptism. Right? So, yeah, I mean, like, babies didn't do anything wrong. Why are you going to baptize a baby? Well, babies die. The wages of sin is death. They need to be baptized. You know, They need to receive the, the grace that God offers in that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because
5: God desires all people to be saved. And babies are all people. people. That's right. (laughs) right.
0: (laughs) Babies are included in all nations. Yes. Um, So, Romans 6 provides an excellent foundation for our understanding of sanctification or holiness. Uh, We see our death to sin and our new life through union with Christ in baptism as a daily source of power in the struggle against sin. See Luther's small catechism, as I mentioned before on Holy Baptism, I think it's part four. Um, uh, Christians sometimes talk a lot about eternal life at funerals and too much and, and much too little about the reality of the resurrection as an important aspect of our eternal life after the last day. Christ redeemed his creation including our bodies. A vital part of our eternal life is the resurrection of these bodies and you can see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'll pause here uh, because that just made me think of something uh, somebody got us. When we went up to Ohio, there was a family there who had two little girls, three, two, anyways, a couple little girls, and um, they saw that Charlotte had a book. It was like a picture book, and it was a hymn. It was uh, either, do Christians one and all rejoice or um, uh, Lord keep us steadfast in your word. And, it, it, and it's a, it, it has the stanzas on each page and pictures that say what's going on stuff like that. It's great, great little book. And so she said, do you have the one for the hymn, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. And we said, no, we'd seen it and we were hesitant on getting it because it's just so heartbreaking. Uh, and Charlotte, and so they got it for her. And so now we have to read it all the time to her and sing it to her all the time. And when I say it's heartbreaking, y'all know the hymn that I'm talking about? Uh, Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. I pray Thee, ne'er from me depart. You, you kind of heard the, t- the tune mm-hmm. before. Um, what, what happens in it is that it talks about, it's basically praying to God that He would not depart from you because and, and to help you live a good life, a good godly life. And that in the end, like the last stanza is just the one that absolutely tears me to shreds. Because it is, um, it's, it's it's where you say, um, uh, um, uh, uh, what is it? Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom. Bear me home that I may die unfearing. And it just goes on about what it means to die in faith. And then, oh, it's got this part where it's like, uh, and, and in my narrow chamber. And in that narrow chamber keep, that's the grave, my body safe and peaceful sleep until thy, until thy reappearing. And then from death uh, uh, awaken me, that with mine eyes with joy may see um, the Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace, O Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. And what kills me about that book is that it shows, in the midst of all these stanzas in the, in, in the hymn, shows a little girl that gets cancer. and they show, and it's like drawings, you know, and like there's a picture of like the dad shaving her head because she's going through chemo. And then you see her at the window and her head is shaved and she's reading her Bible and the family's praying with her. And then they go to church and the pastor's preaching, and then she goes to the rail and she gets a blessing. And and then and then at the end with with oh with Lord, let it last thine angels come. You see the little girl being carried away by angels and she has all her hair back. And then you see her laying on her deathbed and things like that. And then you see her being raised from the dead. And then at the very last page is she is, uh, she's alive in the flesh and she's see her, she sees her, her mom and her dad and her brother and her sister again. And I, I have to not look at the book when I, when I read this to Charlotte, because if I do, I will bawl my eyes out. Um, And I told my mom that and she's like, well then don't read it to her. And I was like, she's like, that's, and she was, she was trying not to say awful, but I was like, "No, mom, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful that this little girl dies in faith." And you see, at one point, she's on her deathbed, and the pastor is there in his in his alb and his stole, and he's holding a crucifix. He's holding a crucifix before her eyes for her to fix her eyes on while she's dying. I was just like, "Oh, it's just," but it's beautiful because. They're reunited on the last day. They're reunited in the flesh with, you know, the mom and the dad and the brother and the sister, and they live eternally, forever, in bliss and joy because of what Christ has done in his resurrection. Oh man. Sorry. It's, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. So, and that's the promise that we receive in baptism, right? That is the promise we, we receive. And... In a funeral, which we're going to have a memorial service on Saturday, but in a funeral we have, over the casket, we have the funeral pall, and it's white. And there is something that I say, as the pastor, I say, in baptism this person was clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And that's what this pall points to. you know. And that in death we, rem- we are reminded of the new life that they have because of what Christ did in their baptism. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. All right.
2: Can I lighten the mood a little bit.
0: It's not light enough.
2: <laughs> on. Oh, it's emotional right now. Oh, it's yeah, it's I know. It's it's pretty day. heavy. It's pretty yeah. heavy stuff. Yeah, so I Yeah, I got you. So I'm picking up, what you put it down. Yeah. Yeah. His grandmother passed away just recently, mm-hmm. and we took the group, the kiddos to the service yes. so they know, and she's in heaven and everything. Well, two weeks ago, I had to put my dog down,
6: mm-hmm.
2: and I had her for 14 and a half years, wow. and so it was hard. Yeah. And we were burying her. They were burying the dog in the yard. We're burying the dog in the yard, and Patrick goes, "Is Lady with me, Mom?" And I said, "Well, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> And he goes, "Well, just think, it won't be long. You'll be there too." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, buddy.
5: <laughs> Patrick's got them. <laughs> the he he's
0: got He's just got it. <laughs> That's so great. And he probably says it with an absolute straight face, oh, too. Oh, he
2: was trying oh, yeah. to be comforting, you know,
0: that yeah. I was going to be with God. In he's theology. not wrong. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean, when I talk about seeing things for as they really are. That kid's got it, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. He, just he knows the He knows the diagnosis.
2: Well, oh, well yeah,
6: you're
2: right, but I hope it'll be a little
6: longer than you think. Yeah.
5: You know? yeah. <laughs> he said, Yeah, I just think it won't be long. You'll be there too. I'm not trying to say you'll be with them again. Yeah, you're just uh, trying to be comforting.
0: From the mouth of babes. Isn't it great? Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and this coming Sunday is the parable of the. Uh, the Good Samaritan, but before that, Jesus says, you know, I thank you, God, that you have hidden these things from the wise and shown it to the infants. You know, it's like, even these things. It's great. All right, uh, so, freed to be slaves of righteousness. We'll just kind of close fairly quickly, unless you want to get into some more things here. The rest In the rest of Romans 6, Paul uses a surprising paradox to describe the Christian life. Freed slaves going on to a new slavery. He explains the new life that is lived to God as a life in which we are free to be enslaved to righteousness. All right? Uh, So to understand Paul's argument, read Exodus 21, 2 through 6, which if you want to thumb there and read along with me, I'll just read it real quick. Um, Hang on a second. Um, uh, So Exodus... What is it? Exodus 21. Yeah. So Exodus 21 verses 2 through 6. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in Married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. Uh, He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Okay? Now, some people are like, an awl? Ugh! It's like a, it's like a tool that you poke holes into leather or so. It's like a mm-hmm. spike. So it's like he pierces his ear. Pierces his ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pierces yeah. his ear. Um, and shows him that he belongs. That's, that's his mark, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, under what conditions might a slave return to slavery? Love of the master. Yeah, love
2: have, if I, It's a a good master.
0: Right, love of the master, love of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah.
4: Both of my translations says brought before the Lord, not brought before judges. Yeah.
0: Um, let me see here. Someone else said that that it brought brought before God. Um, judges last night. Yeah, it depends on your translation. I think. Um, and this one says. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, cuz I was, I was, was wondering. I was like, "Ooh, this is baptism. In the presence of God, you're being marked." Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, given a given a sign that says who you belong to. And mine says, "Shall bring him to God." Yeah, the ESV say says to God judges. and then to judges. I think I need to look and see what that really
2: Could it could it just mean somebody of authority?
0: I don't know. I, I don't want to answer definitively. Let me let me see if you want to bear with me for just a minute. Maybe I can check out the Hebrew. Uh I can glean from that. Uh, <laughs> thankfully I have tools for this. Um, so what is this? Exodus twenty one. Exodus twenty one
2: two six. Is
0: it six? Nine, yeah. Two, three, um, six? Yeah, yeah, but the specific verse we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, present him, his master, to uh... yeah. It's in verse five, five. six. Six. That's mm. um, so Exodus six. To the. Um, no, not that. Well, but
2: mine says judges, so that means plural. There's more than well, one, so if it was God, it, must well, it would say judge. Word, yeah. What so, would that
5: mean, bringing somebody before God back then? Would they have to yeah, go to the temple, to the temple. with um, So. all the priests and, judges and everybody? Like, yeah, and the church church. probably the
4: people that Moses mm-hmm. set in
2: place yeah. to decide. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's a plural Yes. It's not mm. a judge.
0: Mm. It does say Elohim, which is God. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if it's a manuscript issue. That might. That might be the issue. I mean, that's. That's going to be what my answer is for right now. I can look into it more, but I think it might be a manuscript issue or. Maybe a translation of maybe looking at also the Greek in the Old Testament? The Old Testament Greek?
5: I don't know. I have a quick spur with
0: Elohim. Uh-huh. Is that in a multiple persons
5: uh, name for God? So is it a pluralized like name? A pluralized like basically recognizing that there are multiple uh, persons in the Godhead. Um
0: instead of saying Yahweh. Yeah, uh, Elohim, it is a plural, that's right. I thought it was, I want to make sure. It is a, it is a pluralized name, or a pluralized title. Um, the deity, you know, in, in that sense. I mean, and that's, we can go into this in some other time, but other, uh, God God gives us his personalized name, Yahweh, So that we, so that he can be distinguished and exalted above all the other gods, because other gods have that title as well. So, um, but in this context, yeah, we know what what God we're talking about. Um, Yeah, no, good question. Um, That is a pluralized uh, form. And yeah, we'll talk about that some other time. But yeah, good question. Um, So I'll look into that because yeah, some, some say God and some say Judges. Um, I want to see why the New King James says judges, at least, and then maybe the NIV says judges as well, right? Um, but either way, um, yeah, so slavery was not always, or not necessarily an oppressive institution. Like, we might think that it is, you know, Megan here's the word slavery, and it's always just negative, negative, negative. It's like, well, when Paul says that we are slaves to God, when Paul says that he is a slave of Jesus Christ, I mean, we have to understand that you're going to be a slave to somebody. Right?
4: You're a slave to whatever you fear, love, and trust. That's exactly right.
0: Uh, Luther says that very clearly in the large catechism, that whatever you put your fear, love, and trust in, that is your God. Right? That is the one you serve. And you're either a slave to money to your pride, to your intellect, to your abilities, to somebody else and their whims and desires or whatever it is. You're a slave to something else or you're a slave to God himself, right? And which one's a better master? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, which one is a better master? Uh, Who's who's a better master than God himself? You know, the gracious God Almighty who did all for us so that we might be saved. I think it's interesting that it says when you buy a Hebrew servant— Yes, that's right. It's very different. It's different from uh, different from someone who is brought into slavery uh, because of spoils war. of war, yeah, something like that. Um, but usually, those would only be women and children, if at all. Uh, the men, the men would be put to the sword. Uh, so yeah, kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, as far as going willingly into slavery. Some people m- might choose slavery as a means of escaping debt and enjoying the security of a good master. And it's funny because, I, I, I mean, to be a slave really does mean you have somebody else telling you what to do. And people may think that they are free, but everybody's driven by something. Everybody is, is, is enticed by something or told to do by some someone or some group or something like that and if we are christians uh, and we're going to have to be slaves to somebody who better than god himself that gives us this perfect law of love to tell us exactly what we should be doing and and who is gracious when we when we sin and repent rightfully or sorrowful for our sin and come to him for forgiveness and he gives it he's not going to he's not going to beat us when we turn to him asking for grace, right? He will discipline us for sure. I mean, that's promised, but he's not going to scourge us and you know, bring full, forth, uh, full force of wrath onto us because he already did that with Christ, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, um, so yeah, he is a good master and we have security in our good master who is God himself. So after the foundation laid in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Paul commands the Roman Christians to stop letting sin rule and to be who they are in Christ. He says, Therefore, stop letting sin reign in your mortal bodies in order that you obey its desires. Also stop offering your parts as instruments of evil, but offer yourselves to God as as, as living ones from the dead and offer your parts as instruments of of righteousness to God. Paul makes it clear that grace is not used by the Christian as an excuse to continue in sin or to sin abundantly. The obedience that leads to righteousness mentioned in uh, chapter 6 verse 16 is the obedience that consists of faith. And then he says in verse 17, you obeyed from the heart in the pattern of teaching with which you were entrusted. The righteousness of Christ that is ours by faith leads us to become slaves to righteousness. So, how do verses twenty-two through twenty-three emphasize God's role in this move to slavery in righteousness? I
2: put He offers
0: eternal life in Christ Jesus mm-hmm. in the Lord. Yeah, um, wh- yeah. There's there's some kind of compelling aspect there. I mean, I mean. Think about, think about even, quote-unquote, um, the indentured servants, quote-unquote, that would come to America. You know, They were promised a new life. They were promised the opportunity. They were promised good, good fortune or whatever it was. They were promised something that compelled them to take the deal, right? That compelled them to put themselves in that position to serve in that way. I mean, that's a, obviously not all analogies are one-to-one, but God compels us with, with goodness and generosity to abide with him, right? He blesses us with holiness and the everlasting life. And so, I mean, what, what more do you have to think about? <laughs> uh, there, as, as far as a benefits package, I don't think anything can beat that, right? Um, any thoughts on that? questions? Like, why would you not choose that? Why would you not, yeah, why would you not trust someone who, off, who provides and offers and promises such good things? Um, and who actually delivers on those good things, right? I mean the promise is nothing without follow-through. See? Um, I will say uh, the verb used repeatedly here verses like 13, 16, and 19 implies that our lives are now offered or presented to God, and no longer do we offer animals or the other things as specified in the Old Testament. But Paul is exhorting these Christians, many of whom were pagans, to now live who they are in Christ. Right? So it's completely different. Um, you live every day as a new creation, as someone who is bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. You know? All right. Closing thoughts, comments, questions, anything like that. We're way over time, but it's been a good discussion. If not. All right. Next time, over here. Words to remember. Right. I think it's a good part. For sin shall not be your master because you are not for because you are not under law but under grace. Romans six fourteen. To prepare for next time, uh, session twelve, war with the flesh. Uh, read all of chapter seven. That's verses one through twenty five. Uh, in Romans. Um, With that, uh, for the sake of time, let's just go ahead and close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us
5: this day our
0: daily bread,
5: and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation